Hey, JR, I'm looking at these uh, live stream questions. Where would you visit if you could go anywhere in the world? Hawaii, there you go. That sounds good me too. Uh, I'm looking through this. I think we've got a uh, church vacation to plan, right? We're going to all go together. We'll go to Hawaii. And then Renee says she wants to go to Australia. I'd love to go to Australia. Uh, and I'd want to snorkel in the Great Barrier Reef. Wouldn't that be a blast? Uh, I put down, I'd love to go to Italy. I'd love to see the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican City. Uh, Maria says Cancun, Mexico. And uh, Art wants to go and see Guatemala, where he is from. Sheen says the, uh, great, uh, the northern lights. Where do you go to see the northern lights? Probably like Alaska or maybe at, uh, the North Pole or Norway or something like that. And then uh, Japan, Ireland. I mean, we, we are all over. Ron Hata says the Staples Center. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, the, all of these places, like there are so many great places to uh, uh, consider. And, uh, and when we think about going all over the world and uh, seeing the, uh, those uh, places all over the world, the, the focus of today's message is this location right here. Uh, the focus of today's message is to celebrate the fact that 20 years ago, God called us to uh, 1100 East Cameron Avenue in West Covina, California. And so we're, uh, during this month and this summer, we are kind of highlighting God's faithfulness to us and how God had, was mindful to this church 20 years ago to open up the doors for us to come here. And in many ways, it was, a mirac- it was very miraculous. Like, it was clear that God was closing certain doors and opening certain doors. And so to highlight all of these things, we've had um, a few people that uh, give their recollections of that move some 20 years ago. I'm going to show a video here in a moment, and on this video we'll, we have Melinda Shashiki, whose late husband Mel was very instrumental in the move, and Dr. Mike Tanaka, who was on the relocation uh, committee at the time, and Pastor Darren and his wife Renee, who were serving in the church, and then also Pastor Rick, who was the presiding pastor over this church at the time when they moved from Baldwin Park to here in West Covina. And I guess my hope behind this video is that, first of all, we would give God praise for the things that uh, he has done in uh, this church, and that we, would, that we would recognize his faithfulness and his, and his uh, kindness to us. And then secondly, I'm hoping that through the sermon today that our hearts would be, as our heart as a church would be renewed to this, committee, to this community, that we would have a heart to reach the people that live right around here in this church. And so in light of that, let's uh, show this video and highlight what God has done, that what God did 20 years ago. I've been asked to give some background as to why we moved to the West Covina church 20 years ago. The idea to reach out to more people for Christ in the San Gabriel Valley has been the reasons for our church move from Monrovia to Baldwin Park to West Covina, originally to reach out to Japanese Americans and later to our community. Uh, We wanted to grow, but it just didn't happen. 
So one of our interim pastors, retired pastor uh, Dan, Reverend Dan Shinoda, sensed our dilemma, and he organized a church relocation committee. Mel Shishiki chaired it, and committee members were Yukio Miyamoto, Chris Kakimi, George Asataki, and myself. By the 1990s, we had outgrown the facility in Baldwin Park. Limited parking on our site forced us to rent parking spaces from a church across the street. I watched people cook in the tiny kitchen, and we all helped to take down the removable classroom walls to prepare for banquets downstairs. And then we all put them all back up again afterward. Our growth began in 1998. God brought Ricky Imanaga to serve as our new pastor. Rick and his wife Emmy would shepherd our church together for the next 20 years. We had a small prayer group. There's only four of us. It was uh, uh, Dr. Ben Hara, uh, Paul Saito, and uh, a pastor in San Diego, Pastor Honda. And the four of us got together and prayed every week with the intention of asking God, God, can you, can you lead us to a place where uh, where we'd have more parking, new church, and we'd, we'd, we'd be able to grow. And um, uh, as we were praying, uh, during those times when we were praying, uh, some information came in from a realtor who handled just churches. Now, I didn't, I looked at it and I said, no, no way, and I threw it away. But I remember Paul got it also, and he took a look at it. And one day Paul said, hey, I want to pick you up and show you something. So I, he comes by in his car, I jump out his car, I don't know what in the world he's going to do, takes me to the West Covina parking lot. And he says, how'd you like this to be your next church? I said, oh my goodness. And we started the process going, had a Christian agent, and um, it was pretty miraculous because we had to sell the old property in Baldwin Park. I love that church, but it had limited parking. And um, it was eventually bought by a Thai church that was uh, presently uh, worshiping in Alhambra. And uh, God just put it all together. We needed a 30-day escrow, and it all closed right on time. So we moved to West Covina. I remember seeing the inside of the sanctuary for the very first time with its weird hanging light fixtures and, and the old green carpeting. At least I think it was green. I recall how big the property seemed compared to our old one in Baldwin Park. The property had a real social hall two-story classroom building, a lawn area. Who would have ever thought we'd see grass at the church and, and so much parking? God has really provided uh, manpower as well as, you know, monetary gifts. Looking back, I would have not thought that a small congregation could take on the $2 million mortgage for this site. But through God, we can do anything because according to his good purposes, we have been able to do that. I'm so appreciative of our pioneers like Paul Saito, who had the vision and wisdom to see what our church could become by moving to a new location and who shared that vision to help us to take a risk and move. In our end report of 2000, Paul Saito wrote, We are intensely planning to have our first Sunday service at the Cameron Avenue Sanctuary on June 4, 2000. Our temple that the Lord builds will be great. His people shall rise up and praise Him. Pray for His guidance. Remember, 
Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I found a letter uh, or a note from uh, Ben Hara uh, asking or telling Mel, uh, this was dated 7-11-2000. Hi Mel, I'm amazed and grateful that we have a proactive board of trustees. Each time we come to the church, we see evidence that your hardworking, earnest crew has been laboring. So much responsibility has thrust upon you and the trustees. Praise God that the congregation takes so much pride in helping to upgrade the Lord's edifice. We were excited about our new church and wanted to share it with our new neighbors. After we moved, we changed our name from the San Gabriel Valley Japanese Christian Church to the West Covina Christian Church. And this was to reflect our openness to the community and to all that would come through our doors seeking the Lord. Now, when we uh, moved over there, one of the things we had to do was we had to think about our name change. And we, we changed our name from the San Gabriel Valley Japanese Christian Church and we made it very simple just to indicate our location and, uh, and just who we are, West Covina Christian Church. I'm blessed because of the new friendships I formed because we are here and reaching out in this community. I think the move helped us become more missional in our thinking. And that means that while Baldwin Park was nice, you know, we were a small, tight-knit church family. Uh, the move taught us, I think, to get outside ourselves. But well, one day Paul came to me and Paul challenged me. And it was a challenge that just kind of really spoke to my heart. And I've, I've always been like this. And that is Paul says, can we reach out to the community? And not, not just say, you know, we welcome everyone, but actually make an effort to reach out to the community and be God's arm uh, to spreading the gospel in West Covina. And um, so we started going down that route. And uh, we did various things to try to, to, to introduce ourselves to the community. And we wanted to be God's instrument for love and uh, introducing them to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so that's, that's great. Uh, that's my timer. That's all I got to say. And uh, God bless you all. You know, may the Lord just continue to bless the ministry there at West Covina Christian Church. Aren't those uh, uh, amazing stories of just how God worked uh, through, uh, through the church that those 20 years ago? That God was so mindful and faithful to this congregation. And, uh, and as, we get, as I hear those stories, I think my heart is stirred and, I, and my prayer is for all of us to our hearts to be stirred to renew our calling as a church to be involved in this community. Now, I, I admit it's a little bit ironic that we highlight the fact that we are that that God provided us this location and this facility when the large majority of us are not able to be here this morning. But I think uh, as we as we think about that, we we recognize that God has provided us for this build with this building. But the building in itself is not the end goal. The building in itself and the property in itself is meant to be a, a tool that God can use to help us to get out of these 
outside of these four walls. Ultimately, the church is kind of like a training center in which we come and we're encouraged and we're built up so that we can then go back out into the community and into our families and into our workplaces to share the love of Jesus. You see, the church is not ultimately the final goal. The kingdom of God is the final goal. And that is what we are all about. But God has blessed us in many ways to have a a training center, so to speak, to have a place where we can come and we can worship God and we can have our hearts turned towards Him. And so this morning we're highlighting those two things. One, the faithfulness of God, and two, the call to renew our commitment to be a part of this community. And along those lines, because I know those are big things, along those lines, let's just go before the Lord and pray and commit this sermon to Him. Father God, as we turn our hearts now towards the Scriptures, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and to be our teacher. God, we are, we are mindful that, that uh, you are mindful of us. We recognize that without you, this church would, would be nothing. But God, you have over and over again come and blessed us. And we pray that you would bless us with your presence this morning, but ultimately that you just bless this church to be involved in your work because there is joy and satisfaction in that. And so, God, come now, we pray, and speak to us this morning. May you bless this sermon and may it be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. To guide us in our uh, thoughts and prayers this morning, as always, we want to turn to the Scriptures, and uh, we're, going, we're picking right back up where we left off last week. We continue to go through uh, the Gospel of Luke together, and this morning we're jumping in at Luke chapter 19, and, uh, and this, was, this sermon, this passage just seems to fit so perfectly, kind of like a piece in a puzzle that uh, I just have a feeling that God has a word for us this morning. The message of the, the point of this text is right in line with what we're thinking about in terms of God's faithfulness to us as a church. Let's pick it up in verse 1. We're in Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to read uh, now verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and we'll talk about that position in a moment. But he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree uh, to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. We're given a little bit of background information. First of all, the main character in the story here, outside of Jesus, obviously, is Zacchaeus. And we're told that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. In fact, he was a chief tax collector. And because of his position, he had become very wealthy. And it's not necessarily because he was a hard worker, though he may have been that. The way he probably became wealthy was because tax collectors were known to be cheats. You see, the government would tell them, go to so-and-so's house and collect $1,000 of taxes. But the tax collector would go and he'd show up at the door and he'd say, okay, you owe your taxes, pay up, you owe 1500 bucks." And what he'd do is he'd charge more than what they actually owed and he'd pocket the, the extra. 
And so Zacchaeus has become uh, very wealthy in this way. He's got lots of money, but the, the Bible makes it clear he, has, he doesn't have lots of height. In fact, it says he's a short little guy. But he's desperate to see Jesus. And so what does he do? He runs ahead and he figures Jesus is coming along this way on this path. And he climbs, uh, the Bible says, a sycamore fig tree. Now I did a little bit of research. Sycamore fig trees are large trees. In fact, they can grow up to like 70 feet tall. But you'll notice even in this picture that the tree is wider than it is tall. And uh, the, this is a tree just out in, the, in nature. This hasn't been trimmed. This is how it naturally grows, almost with branches that are horizontal, parallel with the ground. And so I can imagine Zacchaeus running ahead and climbing up and sitting in one of these branches that would have just been right, under, right above where Jesus would pass through. I think of uh, Zacchaeus kind of lounging out on this branch right here, kind of like a leopard lays on a tree branch when he's, in, when he's in the forest. And sure enough, here comes Jesus uh, that way, and he recognizes Zacchaeus. Verse 5, we, we're given uh, Jesus' words. It says, this Zacchaeus, come down immediately, for I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' names, maybe because he's a chief tax collector, or maybe because he had divine knowledge in that moment. But anyway, Jesus offers Zacchaeus an invitation. Well, actually, it's not so much an invitation for Zacchaeus to come to his house. Uh, Jesus invites himself to Z Zacchaeus' house. And, it seemed, and, and the text is clear that Zacchaeus is excited about this. In verse 6 it will say, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I kind of picture myself, uh, I kind of picture Zacchaeus rolling over on the branch that he is hanging on and dropping down. He's excited to go to have Jesus come and uh, uh, welcome Jesus into his house. Now Zacchaeus is excited about it, but it doesn't seem the crowd same, share the same emotion. In verse 7 it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the, uh, the guest of a sinner? This is Zacchaeus's reputation. He's known as a sinner. Yes, we're all sinners, but Zacchaeus seemed to be known for his sin. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He's ripped people off. He's made their lives difficult. Nobody was excited about this. But Zacchaeus seems to be head over heels. He's, he's jazzed about the idea of Jesus coming into his home. And as Jesus is there, he's uh, overcome with emotion. He makes this announcement. Verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, which he has, out of anything, I will, I will pay back four times the amount. In this picture, we get, uh, in this uh, verse, we get a picture of a life that has been transformed, changed by Jesus. He says, look, Lord, and he begins to uh, describe how he's going to give his wealth away. Here we know uh, Zacchaeus to be a man that was so greedy 
so selfish and, uh, and dishonest. And now all of a sudden we have a picture of a completely different man. Now I'll have to admit, and uh, maybe this is not good, but I tend to be kind of skeptical when I hear, uh, you know, real life stories like this. And, and uh, I look at this story and I'm like, sure, yeah, you say that now, Zacchaeus, when Jesus is in your home, but wait till tomorrow or wait for a month from now. But look at what it says here. It says, here and now. The English text is trying to bring out what's really apparent in the Greek that this is not just some passing thing that he says, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, or yeah, I'll get to it eventually. You're a great guy, Jesus, uh, Jesus and I want to live for you. No, the evidence is in the here and the now. He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And anybody I've ripped off, I'm going to repay them back four times as much. That $500 I pocketed, I'll pay you back 2000 it is a picture of a transformed life. And so let me just pause here before we finish out the text and ask what I think uh, is a crucial question. Isn't this what it's all about? To see lives transformed by God? Isn't that what our lives are all about? Isn't that what our church is all about? This is the goal. This is the hope to have our lives transformed by God so that we look like Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus to others so that their lives can be transformed. They can be changed forever. And it starts with each of us individually to think about how my life has been transformed, but how it can be transformed today, every day, that renewed commitment, waking up and saying, God, help me to live like Jesus would live if he were in my place today. And think about that for a moment. What a radical thought. What a picture of what it means to be a follower of, of Christ, that we live as Jesus would live if he were in our place how would Jesus parent your children? How would Jesus do your job if he had your job? How would he spend your finances? How would Jesus treat your spouse or your, or your friends? How would he handle the big decision that is on your plate right now? This is what it looks like to have a transformed life, to live like Christ would live, to live so that we begin to look like Jesus. I was reading a book just this past week, and I came across a quote that I think summarizes this so beautiful, beautifully. Neil Cole says, The miracle we need most right now is the one that the Lord has freely uh, given us already. It is the power of a changed life. The world is poised and ready to see the relevance and power of our message. If only we would let them see it firsthand. There's so much in that quote that I love, but it seems to me like that is exactly what we are, the Lord is impressing upon us this morning as we look up at this life, uh, the life of Zacchaeus. Jesus wants us to be transformed so that we can go out into a world 
that is poised and ready to hear the relevance and the power of our message if we would just live it out before them. So again, this is a call for us to get outside of our four walls. It is a call to go out and to be in the community. It is a call to live out a Christ-like life, not from 10.30 to noon on Sundays alone, but to live it out 24-7. The power of the gospel message is seen in the life that has been transformed, and then that is to spread out to others. That's the mission statement of our church. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else, In our lives, it starts with us, in our church, and then out into our communities. That's what we are all about. Now, just to finish off the passage that we are looking at this morning, verses 9 and 10 say, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And uh, that is what, this is the purpose for which Jesus came. To seek and to save the lost. And that's, that's why we, that's what we're all about as a church as well. To seek and to save the lost. This morning we are emphasizing the fact that we have been in this community for 20 years. And uh, I just want to, Uh, take a moment and drive home a couple points right along these lines, the idea of seeking and saving the lost. The first is that God has placed us in this community for a reason. And the second point is that our task is to be used by God to see lives transformed. Two very simple points to today's sermon, and we're going to just go through these briefly. But let's talk about this first one. God has placed us in this community for a reason. When we heard the uh, stories of how God opened and closed doors through the testimonies that were shared in the video, it's amazing that uh, to recognize that uh, God closed many doors before he opened the right one. And uh, I wasn't here, but I have loved to hear these stories. And, and, I, and I know Melinda has told me before that uh, you know, her husband, Mel, had visited m- multiple properties through the years. And I know Paul did as well, and uh, Pastor Rick. And every one, the doors just seemed to close until this one, it, uh, it swung wide open. Now, the trickiness of uh, the moment was that the church needed to sell their previous property in Baldwin Park, and the timing had to work out just right so that they had a place to move into, and they had the sale of the old property as a down payment for this uh, new facility. And God worked it out in what Pastor Rick said in the video was a miraculous way. Now, one of the stories that wasn't shared, but I know to be true because I've been told this before, is that our church was not the only offer on the table for the selling church who was, uh, you know, selling their property. In fact, we were not the highest bid. Calvary Chapel, which is, they eventually bought in Diamond Bar, a huge church, offered more money for this property than what we were able to offer. And, uh, but the the selling church prayed about it, and the selling church felt the conviction that God wanted us to have this property. 
You see, all of this drives home the point that it just feels that God wants us in this community. That he has us here for a reason. When the church uh, moved here, they decided to change the name, and this was really highlighted in the video, but the simple name of West Covina Christian Church was chosen. And uh, part of the reason why that simple name was chosen was because they wanted the name of the city in the name of the church to be able to identify with this uh, community. And that is our renewed commitment this morning to say we want to be a blessing to this community, this, the, the people that live right around this church. I've heard a challenging question uh, asked before just of churches if your church were to up and leave, would anyone in the community care? And I don't know how people that live around here would answer that question, but my hope and prayer is that our footprint in this community would get bigger and bigger and that we would really be a blessing to be in this community, a, a part of it that is, that is sharing the love of Jesus in in real and tangible ways. I've had a lot of conversations lately with uh, some of the leaders at uh, Cameron Elementary School. And uh, I'm really excited about the uh, opportunities that we have to be uh, kind of a partnering church with that school, to, to bless them and to serve there and to reach families that live right around this church because the school is literally like a block down. All these families that go to that, that school live right around here. And as we've been talking, it, it, uh, we're, we're mindful of the fact that, you know, school's going to look different for all of the schools around here this year than it would normally. All the schools will, will be going to distant learning in this, and uh, will be communicating with their students virtually. And I have to imagine that uh, some of the parents will struggle to help their kids keep up with the uh, distant learning. But I think this may be an opportunity for us as a church to virtually or maybe to set up safe uh, zones here at the, on the church grounds to help with tutoring and to come alongside of families and, and children and really to tangibly be a blessing to uh, to the families that live right around here. And I have a feeling that when we get back to, to normal, if whatever the new normal is, but uh, the day when the students are able to go back to school eventually, there will be other open doors as well. But I'm excited about this, that we would be able to reach families and kids in our community. Speaking of family and kids in our community, uh, Vacation Bible School has annually probably been our best outreach every year. And uh, this week is our uh, VBS, and it's going to be a VBS that's done online this year, and so it's a little different. But I'm excited about how uh, the, all the kids that will be joining us and how we can share the love of Jesus. Talk about spreading a passion for God. This is an opportunity for us to spread the love of Jesus to others. And so the VBS this year is called Superfood for the Soul. Superfood that will fill our hearts and our souls. We've got 40 kids signed up, and that is uh, wonderful. 16 of them are from the Naomi house in 
uh, Arizona that we usually take a missions trip to during the summer and weren't able to this summer, but because it's done virtually, they can join us. But we have all kinds of kids, and that's wonderful. And there are hopefully children that will come and, and families that will come and participate that eventually their, their families will call this their church home. I was so touched last week when Inez gave her testimony of how she received a letter 20 years ago inviting her to this church. In fact, she, that meant so much to her. She's kept the original letter for 20 years stuffed away in her Bible. She said she looks at it periodically. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we are able to extend that invitation to so many that live right around here, uh, right around the church? Now, through the technology that we have today, that's probably more possible than ever. The fact that we're live streaming this service and that we have, you know, a, a good website and that we're able to, to connect to people technologically, this gives us all opportunities to invite people to come and to be a part of our church. Okay, all that to share that point number one, that God has placed us in this community for a reason. Now, point number two, our task is to be used by God to see lives transformed. That's what we saw in the life of Zacchaeus, and as we've said, that's what we are all about, to see lives transformed. How has God transformed your life? Because of Jesus, are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you more generous? Are you more uh, forgiving? Are you more compassionate? Last week, Fernando Aguilera was over at my house because uh, he's a plumber and I was having some plumbing problems. And so here we're, uh, we're uh, tucked away uh, trying to figure out what in the heck is wrong with this pipe that's not getting any water in my, in my home. And uh, as we're he's just telling me about how Jesus has changed his life. And, uh, and I asked uh, Fernando, you know, if you were to sum up uh, in a very brief way, what is the biggest change that God's made in your life? How, how would you say it? And the first word out of Fernando's mouth was compassion. He says, I, I'm just so compassionate towards people in ways that I was not before I knew Jesus. He said, I used to be filled with so much anger and hate and bitterness. I'd see someone and I'd automatically just have negative thoughts about them. But he says, now I have uh, compassion towards them. Fernando told me, he says, you know, I've never killed anybody, but I've been close. He said he used to carry a gun all the time, and, uh, and he used to hang out with gangs. In fact, he received Christ while in prison. And some uh, Christians that were there kept coming to him and saying, Fernando, can I pray for you? Fernando, can I pray for you? And he'd always say no. But then one day he just said, hey, what's it hurt? And he said they laid their hands on him and uh, prayed for him. And in that moment, he said he felt just a, weight lifted from his shoulders and he could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of him. I love that story because as we think about uh, God transforming lives, surely it starts with prayer and that is what all of us can do. 
When we think about being involved in this community, surely it starts with prayer. That each of us prays that God would use us to transform lives. God is in the transformation business. He wants to transform lives. He wants to transform families. He wants to transform whole communities. I think of the transformation work that God is calling us to. You know, the, so much of our culture today is experiencing uh, racial tension. But we as a multi-ethnic church can proclaim the transformational power of Jesus to come in and to, and to transform attitudes and prejudices. You know, we think about uh, being uh, used at the school right next year. God is about transforming kids' lives so that they have an education and they can experience all that God has created for them to experience in this good world. God is about transforming relationships and marriages and relationships between parents and kids and, and, uh, and people that have offended one another. God is in the business of transforming relationships and giving us, as Fernando said, compassion. We have a ministry here at the church we call Mercy and Justice. And it's a ministry just to be involved in helping the poor and the needy of the community. God is in the transformation business. And, and yes, foundation, foundational to it all is the idea of personal transformation, salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That means all of God's blessings that he has for us in this world. It means having a relationship with him, but it means, having a, a, it means us being involved in the community to seek to meet tangible and real needs right around here in families and in the school, and wherever it is that God calls us. We are committed as a church to the ministry of transformation because that is what God is in the business of, in the business of transformation. And so we are committed to personal and spiritual transformation. We're committed to family and relational transformation. And we're committed to whole community transformation. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to mean or how that's going to look, but I do know that that is in line, line with what Jesus says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so this morning we celebrate the fact that God has sought us out. He has saved us. He has given us a training center. He's given us a place that we can come and be equipped for the kingdom work that he wants us to do. And then, that, and, and then we, we celebrate that and then we renew our commitment to be in this community to seek and to save the lost. Two very simple points to today's message that God has placed us in this community for a reason and that our task is to be used by God to see lives transformed. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, think about just the way that you have blessed us and worked in our church through the years. Long before we even got here, no matter how long we have been here, because this church has been in existence like 80 years. And uh, so, God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray that your hand would continue to rest upon us and that you would equip us and empower us 
to do kingdom work in this community, to see the transformative power of the Holy Spirit move through us and see lives and families and even the whole community changed for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.